Yeah, I appreciate uh, Craig and Kelly sharing that story. You need to hear the rest of that story. Uh, he went through some tough times, job-related. They were faithful to continue to, to support and give their finances. Uh, and out of the blue, he got a phone call and basically got his old job back uh, with new owners and just a, a great situation for him. So the, the Lord honored their faithfulness, as he always does for us. Hey, uh, happy Groundhog Day. Yeah, did you know that? Doesn't it seem like we've lived this day before? Yeah, I don't know if the groundhog saw his shadow or not. Anybody here? No? Early spring, good, because I am tired of these cold winter days, aren't you? Man, this 80 degrees is about to freeze me to death. Yeah. Hey, it's an exciting time to be part of First Baptist Burleson. I hope you know that. Uh, I'm glad that you are here. There are a lot of things going on. Uh, I want you to know about one thing that, you know, our commitment is to make Burleson a better place to live for everyone. We don't just say that. We do things to make that happen. And yesterday we had a huge conference here for Ministry Safe, and that's basically a, a program that helps people identify the grooming behaviors of pedophiles, people who would want to harm children. And so it's not enough just to know that they exist. There's no profile for these people, but you can notice the way that they prepare kids or prepare adults to do what they want to do. And so we had 150 folks here, 20 churches represented here for that conference uh, to help advance that, to make sure that anybody who wants to come into Burleson and harm children, they know that's just not going to happen, and we're going to be aware. So our goal is to train 2,000 people in our community uh, it, with that ministry safe training. Yes? That was good, right? Good thing. Yes? All right. Thank you for your applause. The other thing I want you to know about is we are... Uh, getting very close to launching a Spanish church in Cleburne. This is one of our uh, ministries, one of our church plants. You know, we're committed to planting churches, and we're planting a church-speaking church, speaking church uh, in Cleburne. So we're just, just weeks away from that first launch, so that's exciting. Also, as I shared with you on Vision Sunday, church planting, we're serious about this. So we put a team together to start investigating Grandview and the Chisholm Trail Corridor. Uh, to see if that's where the Lord might be leading us to plant some satellites or churches or whatever that looks like. But we're starting that to roll and, and really seeking the Lord of what he wants us to do in those areas. And just a couple weeks ago at our staff meeting, I just asked our staff, I said, what is, what is the one thing that if this one thing changed, everything in our church would change? So we talked through that a lot, thought through that a lot. We came up with this idea that if we had 2,000 people on our church on Sunday morning, that would change everything we do. We'd have to add services, add staff, treat, create new structures, new life groups. That would impact everything that we do. And it's not just for the purpose of having 2,000 people. It's to double our influence. As Daniel shared, we've been running over 1,000, uh, 1,100 last Sunday on Sunday mornings. And so we expect that to continue to grow uh, as God adds to our family here. And so it's about influence. We can do twice as much as we're doing now with twice as many people. So we're talking about that. How do we, how do we see that happen? What is the Lord leading us to do that? And we really feel like he is. With the vision that he's given us, the things that we are wanting to do, it's just going to take some more people to do that. And so that's very exciting to talk about. Uh, and, and what that means is we're going to have to be serious about reaching people far from God. And that's our target. We don't want to take them from other churches. We're not looking to do that at all. We want to reach people who don't know Jesus. That's why we're here, right? Great commission, great commandment. Make disciples. That first step is introducing Jesus to them. And so we're talking about how can we do that as a church and do that in a better way. We've got to get better at that, at reaching people who do not, do not know Jesus so that they might know him the way that we do him 
as Lord and Savior. Uh, also, just to let you know, we're back with Facebook Live. Some of you guys have been watching our study through Ecclesiastes. We're back at 8 o'clock in the morning. Facebook Live, you can't catch it at 8 o'clock, Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. Be sure and uh, check the recording out later. This is kind of a, a fun way to do it. One of the things that uh, Robin and I love to do is we love to travel. And we have a daughter that works for Southwest Airlines, so that makes travel a lot easier for us. And one of our favorite places we've been several times is New York City. Uh, and we love to go to Manhattan. We love just to experience the New York City lifestyle for at least for a week. Um, so a couple years ago, we, were, we hired a driver to take us around and show us a tour guide to show us uh, privately just the different sites and things that we don't normally see on the tourist route. And so it was a great experience, and, and Robin said, hey, I'm, I'm looking for a purse. Where's the best place to get purses? He goes, I know just a place. It's in Chinatown. I'll take you right to this store. So he takes us in, introduces us to the owner. We walk in the store. It's not very big. You know, it's maybe 15 feet wide, 15 feet deep. But wall-to-wall, ceiling floor purses, as far as you can see, which was only 15 feet there. But still, all you could see were purses, hanging from the wall, hanging from the ceiling, down on the floor. Every person, purse shape, color, size imaginable. And the lady said, well, just pick out the purse that you want. So Robin went around and picked out the purse that she wanted. And then the lady said something I'd never heard before. Now pick out the label that you want. That's funny, right? That's kind of weird. Do you get to do that? Pick out the purse you want, and now pick out the, do you want it to be Michael Kors? Do you want it to be Gucci? Do you want it to be Couch? Do you want it to be JCPenney? What store, what name brand do you want in this purse, right? Because it was a knockoff purse, right? So you could pick the label and make it look like the real thing. And from a distance, you couldn't really tell. It looked something like this, right? Except we labeled it, you wouldn't be able to tell what, which one's the real, which one's the fake. And as you get up real close and examine the handiwork and, and the st- things that, that are made, that it is made from, but from a distance, you won't be able to tell what's real and fake. We call these knockoffs, right? There's knockoff watches, knockoff purses. There's also knockoff people. That's what John's going to talk about this morning. He's going to talk to us about counterfeit Christians, people who look like, sound like, talk like, smell like the real thing, but in reality, they're counterfeit. They are not true followers of Jesus Christ. So if you have your Bible, I invite you to open to this, 1 John chapter 2, beginning with verse 18. If you don't have a Bible, it'll be on the screen. 1 John chapter 2, beginning with verse 18. I'll read through verse 25. Let's look at what John writes about counterfeit Christians. Dear children, this is the last hour, and as you have heard that the Antichrist is coming, even now many Antichrists have come. This is how we know it's the last hour. They went out from us, but they did not really belong to us. For if they had belonged to us, but they really did not belong to us, for if they had belonged to us, they would remain with us. But their going showed that none of them belonged to us. But you have an anointing from the Holy One, and all of you know the truth. I do not write this because you do not know the truth, but because you do know it and because no lie comes from the truth. Who is the liar? It is whoever denies that Jesus is the Christ. Such a person is the Antichrist, denying the Father and the Son. No one who denies the Son has the Father. Whoever acknowledges the Son has the Father also. As for you, see that what you have heard from the beginning remains in you. If it does... You will also remain in the Son and in the Father. And this is what he promised us, eternal life. There's a lot 
in this passage. What he's talking about, about the true identity of a true Christ follower. I was talking to a couple this past week and just sharing my faith with them. Talking about Jesus and salvation and what that means. And, and the woman asked me this question, which is a great question. Well, how do you know? How do you know if you're really a Christ follower or not? How do you really know if Jesus is in your life or not? A great question to which John answers this. In chapter 2, he said, this is how we know that we know. Right? So his, it's not a doubt, it's not a wish, it's not a hope. It is reality. It is the truth. And the first test that we looked at last couple of weeks was the behavior test. So if you're trying to consider, am I really a person in the light or I'm still in the darkness? Am I a true Christ follower or am I a counterfeit Christ follower? The first test is the behavior test. How do you live? How do you act? Have you been changed? If you look back at your life before you gave your life to Jesus Christ, before you walked the aisle, before you prayed, before you went through the baptism, and if you're just as mean as you were back then as you are today, then you haven't changed. You're not a Christ follower. If you look at your life today and you are just as ugly and disrespectful to your spouse today as you were back then, you have not been changed. You are not a Christ follower. If you, have, if you allow the same amount of sin into your life today that you did before you met Jesus, you didn't meet Jesus. You do not have the Holy Spirit of God living within you because if the Holy Spirit is in, he changes things. It's gradual, it's progressive, but there is change occurring. So that's the first test. Have I changed? Am I different today than before I gave my life, prayed the prayer, walked the aisle, went through the water with Jesus? The second test is a love test. Do you love Jesus? Do you follow Jesus? Do you obey Jesus? Do you trust Jesus? Are you obedient? And the test we're going to look at today that John offers is the belief test. What do you believe about Jesus? Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus to you? And there's some very clear answers that he will give us to answer that question to pass the test. So he's saying to us, here are the three tests you have. If you pass these three tests, these indicate, show to you, reveal to you that you are a true Christ follower. But he starts this section off by saying, we are in the last hour. This is the last hour. Well, that's confusing. It's an interesting statement to make. What did he mean? Because obviously he lived past that hour. The people that he wrote to lived past that hour that they read it. There are still people living today. So what does he mean? He's talking about the end times, the last times. Well, obviously he's not talking chronologically. Otherwise, everyone would have died within that hour. He's talking theologically. You and I today live in the end times. From the minute that Jesus ascended up to heaven after his resurrection to be with the Father, set at the right hand of the Father, until the time that Jesus returns again, we are in the end times, the last days. Now, Jesus makes it very clear, don't try to figure out when that day will be because no one will know. Only the Father knows. Any kind of effort to try to figure that out is just a waste of time. Don't believe anyone who says, I figured out when Jesus is coming back because they're lying. We don't know, but we're in the end times. And John says, you know that you're in the times because there are indicators that say to us we are in the end times. One of the big indicators that you will have an experience anti-Christ. There will be false teachers. There will be anti-Christ. This is how you know that we're in the last hour in the end times. So don't be surprised that these types of people exist. Don't be surprised that these type of people want to attack you, want to draw you away from the truth. So the next 
eschatological event, the next Fox News alert that we will experience in the realm of the kingdom of God will be the return of Jesus. That's the next big event that we long for, that we wait for. Just like we celebrated Christmas, the advent of Christmas, which reminded us there was a time people waited for Messiah to come, Messiah came. Now we're in another waiting period, waiting for him to come back to take us home, which he promised to do. Amen? That's where we are. So we're waiting. During these times, we endure. And so he gives us the profile of an antichrist. The basic definition is they had a wrong thinking about Jesus. These people were in the church. I thought about maybe still in Jeff Foxworthy, you may be an antichrist if. <laughs> right? But this is how he describes them. First of all, he says they were once part of the community of faith. They were members of the church. They were leaders in the church, but they left. Now understand, he's not talking about church hoppers. He's not talking about people who just prefer another church over another one and they leave because they, they don't like what's going on and they prefer something else, which I hope that's not you. I hope you don't pick a church based on your preference. I hope you truly follow where God is calling you. I talked to a lady just the other day that's been visiting our church. She says, we just want to go where God is calling us. And I, I, I affirm that. I, I applaud that because I believe that God calls you just as much as he calls me here. So I hope you're seeking the call, the leadership of God, not what you prefer. Right? So this... They weren't church hoppers because there weren't any churches to hop to. <laughs> These were people who left the church. They left the community of faith. They left the faith. They believed something different about Jesus Christ. Again, they were leaders in the church because people followed them, and they left the church. And John says, if they really belonged to the church or the community, they would not have left. He doesn't say they wouldn't have gotten disgruntled. He wouldn't have said that they like everything that goes on. He wouldn't have said that they, they didn't give some pushback or, or have some concerns about things. He didn't say that. He said, no, they just left. They left. They left us. They left the family. They left the faith. He describes these people, these antichrists, as wolves in sheep clothing. But they were in the church, right? Turn to somebody next to you and say, you may be an antichrist. Because they were here, right? They were in the church. So they exist today. There are people in the church who have joined the church, maybe leaders in the church, went through all the steps, went through new members class, went through the baptism water, signed a card, walked an aisle, but yet they are anti-Christ. Now, maybe not adamantly like these who sought to destroy the church, but maybe ignorantly. There are people in the church today who they would never say, I'm against Jesus, but they're not for him because they've never understood what it really means to be a Christ follower. They've done a lot of good things, went through all the churchy things, but their life has never been transformed. They've never been changed by the Spirit of God. The people John is dealing with, there was a, a theology, I guess you could say, called Gnosticism. It wasn't fully formed at this point, but this idea was out there that there was a superior knowledge you had to receive in order to be saved, in order to have a favor with God. You had to have a superior knowledge. It was only for the elitist in religion. So these people were telling these other people, no, you've got to believe these things. And one of the beliefs that Gnostics had is that Jesus was not the Messiah. And they were pulling people away and people were following him. So, okay, that's maybe not such a big deal here in our area. But there are other things that would speak to this. If someone says to you, you have to speak in tongues to be a Christian. That's not true. That's not in the Bible. That's a false teaching. 
If someone were to say to you, the sign that you are a Christian is that you're healthy, wealthy, and wise. Prosperity doctrine. Prosperity gospel. That's not true. That's not in the Bible. If that were true, Jesus wouldn't measure up. People say, well, you have to work your way into heaven. You have to do enough good things, more good things than bad things, and hope that God will let you in. That's not true. That's not what Jesus said. That's not in the Bible. But yet there's all these misconceptions, all these misunderstandings about Jesus. This is how we know if a teaching is true or a teaching is false. Jesus is the key. Jesus is the answer to be able to know. And John says, here's the answer. If you do not believe that Jesus is the Son of God, sent from the Father, you are an anti-Christ. When I read that, I was reminded of the women's march. We just had the March for Life just a week ago. But if you remember back in January, there was the women's march in Washington, D.C., in the mall there. This is something that started back in 2017 after Trump was inaugurated as president. So every year they have a women's march, and there's a different theme each year. This year was the theme of abortion. Pro-choice was the main focus of this group walking on on the Capitol. So they were promoting pro-choice, in other words, pro-abortion. And I I read a sign that said this. said, pro-life is anti-choice. Pro-life, if you are against abortion, you believe life begins at conception, then you are anti-choice. And I thought, yeah, (laughs) exactly. You can't be both, right? You can't be for abortion and against it. And what John is saying, you can't be for Jesus and anti-Jesus. You can't do all the Jesus things, but yet not believe the truth about Jesus. It doesn't work. It doesn't mix. It's like oil and water. You can't be both. You have to make a decision about the truth of who Jesus is. And if you're not with Christ, you are an anti-Christ. Again, the mark here of the anti-Christ is that they never really belong, is that they left. This is how you know they really weren't believers because they left. Now, he's not saying they lost their salvation. That's important. Not because they left the church. Well, because they did that, they lost their salvation. What John is saying, they were never saved. They were never converted. They were never transformed. They may have had an experience, a religious experience, but they were never transformed by the truth of Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit of God. To put it this way, believers belong, deniers depart. Believers belong. We belong to the community. We stick it out in the community. Deniers depart. They leave the community. They leave the faith. He's also saying, I love what F.F. Bruce said, continuance is the test of reality. Now what John is not saying here, he's saying if you hang on to the faith to the end, then you'll be saved. If you persevere to the end and you don't give up, you don't abandon the faith, then you'll be saved. What he's saying is because you are saved, one of the signs that you are saved is you will persevere to the end. You will not abandon the faith. You will not deny the truth of Jesus. You will persevere. You will suffer. You will sacrifice. You will go through all that you're going to go through, but you will not quit, which is a sign that you have been saved, that at that point in your past, you were saved. Jesus entered into your life, and you've been saving, being saved through today. They're not losing their salvation. They were never saved. It's not if I just hang on, then God will save me. No, he's already saved you, and because of that, you can't hang on and persevere. And then he talks about this anointing. It's, it's the idea that true Christians were covered with this, 
spiritual sunscreen, if you will, to protect us from the Antichrist. You have an anointing. The Greek word is what is rubbed on. So just imagine that. You put on sunscreen, right? You may need some today. It's so hot, right, to cover, to protect you from the harmful rays of the sun. This anointing that you and I have, part of that anointing protects us from the attacks of the Antichrist, from the false teachers of the false ones. You have received this from the Holy One, which is the Holy Spirit, and we are commanded to live by the Holy Spirit. Again, we are changed. The behavior test, we have been changed because we live by the Holy Spirit, not by our spirit, not by our will, but by the Spirit of God. This is how we know that we have been changed. We have the Holy Spirit within us. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 10 through 16, where Paul gives us a job description, if you will, of the Holy Spirit. You and I as Christians, we are a temple of the Holy Spirit, right? The Spirit of God lives within us. This is part of what he does in our lives. The Spirit teaches us all things, even the deep things of God. For who knows a person's thought except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. What we have received is not the Spirit of the world, but the Spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak. Not in words taught us by human wisdom, but in words taught by the Spirit. Explaining spiritual realities with Spirit-taught words. The person without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolish and cannot understand them because they are discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things, but such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. That's a powerful statement. We have the mind of Christ. So John is saying to us, look, don't be surprised that these antichrists exist. Don't be surprised that they have infiltrated your community. Don't be alarmed when they try to lead you away from the truth. But rejoice because you are protected. You're protected from the false teachings that they offer. You're protected from being kidnapped by them to lead you away from the truth. You can imagine, if you hear there's a bunch of antichrists running around, that's kind of scary. That's like the zombie apocalypse. right? There's all these antichrists, and they're coming after us. They were attacking John's church. But he said, we have nothing to fear because we have an anointing of the Holy Spirit. We know the truth because the truth lives in us. And who is the truth? Jesus is the truth. When you know Jesus, you know the truth, you don't have to fear the lies. Why did God give us his spirit? To teach us the gospel. That we might live according to the gospel. Look at John 16. In John's gospel, he writes this. John 16, verses 12 through 15. I have much more to say to you, more than you can now bear. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you in all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears. And he will tell you what is yet to come. He will glorify me because it is from me that he will receive what he will make known to you. All that belongs to the Father is mine. That is why I said the Spirit will receive from me what he will make known to you. So here's the Holy Spirit that lives within us. Here is his role. He teaches us the things of God. We are lifelong learners. The minute you give your life to Jesus Christ, claiming him as leader and forgiver of your life, that's the beginning of your journey. At that point, what you need to know is that Jesus Christ is the son of God. He died for you, and God raised him from the dead three days later. And your sins can be forgiven. But that's a beginning knowledge, right? We don't stop there. We continue to grow and continue to learn. 
And the way that we know what we are hearing or believing is truth from the Holy Spirit is that it will always glorify Christ. These antichrists were preaching that Jesus was not the Messiah. He was not the anointed one. He was not the sent one. That's a false teaching. We know the truth. The Holy Spirit will always glorify, magnify Christ. The Holy Spirit will continue to point us to Jesus Christ. And Jesus says, because he receives from me, I tell him what to teach you, and you need to listen and obey. This is how you know that it is from the truth. The other test is his revelation to you, what the Spirit is saying to you, will never contradict the Word of God. If you see something, hear something, believe something, and you check it against Scripture and it doesn't match, it is not from God. It is a lie pastor friend was telling me about an experience he had a man came to his church that was a member of his family was a member of his church he said pastor I need to talk to you about something God is doing something in my life and he was a Christian family in the church wife in the church couple of kids in the church he said the other day I was at a, actually a couple of months ago I was at a laundromat and I met a woman there and there was a spark and we began a relationship I just want you to know that God told me I need to leave my wife and marry this woman. No. No, he did not. No, he did not. That is directly against Scripture. Plus, it's a laundromat. Come on. Really? Right? No, if it is directly in contradiction to Scripture, it is a lie. Do not believe it. Do not follow it. Do not accept it. It is meant only to destroy you. So here's the belief test again. It's what the Spirit's saying to you. Does it match Scripture? Look at verse 26. I'm writing these things to you about those who are trying to lead you astray. As for you, the anointing you receive from him remains in you, and you do not need anyone to teach you. But as his anointing teaches you about all things, and that anointing is real, not counterfeit, just as it has taught you, remain in him. Remain in him. So John is helping us not just to identify the counterfeiter, but to fight against the counterfeiter, to fight against the Antichrist. It's not enough just to recognize they're there. We are called to stand up and fight against. The Holy Spirit helps us to discern the Antichrist. Remind me of an illustration I heard years ago about money and counterfeit money. And the people who study how to identify counterfeit money, they don't spend their time studying counterfeit money. They actually study real money. So when they see something that's fake, they automatically recognize it. Now, today we have all kinds of technology to help us. There are those pens. You can hold up to the light. There's different strips and different colors. There's all these identifiers of true money that you and I can look at and see this is the real thing. right? But why is this such an issue? Because counterfeit money is bad. Counterfeit money wrecks our economy. Counterfeit money ruins lives. This is what John's saying. Look, there are some indicators to help you understand and identify counterfeit Christians. Because the Holy Spirit living you, part of his role is give you discernment that you might be able to discern. Here's the test. What does it say about Jesus? What is this person saying about Jesus? What does this religion say about Jesus? 1 John 4, verses 2 through 3. We'll look at this in a couple of weeks. This is how we can recognize the Spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. But every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. So the answer to this question is what we call incarnational theology. That God came in the flesh. Jesus was fully divine. 
fully man, fully divine mystery of the faith. I know, hard to explain, I know. But to believe that Jesus was not just a good man that God put favor on. He wasn't just a good teacher that died for a good cause. He truly is God. He is the Son of God. I discipled a man in one of my churches for years who came out of the Christian science religion. And he could not accept that Jesus was God. Every religion, every false religion has an idea about Jesus. Islam believes that Jesus was a great prophet. Christian science thought that Jesus was a good man. A lot of religions say Jesus was a good man, he was a good teacher. But unless they accept that Jesus is God, they believe a lie. The answer to this question, who is Jesus? He is God. It is God who died for our sins. It is God who is resurrected to give us life now and eternity. So if somebody comes to your door, somebody's teaching you about religion, somebody wants you to know something about God, here's the question. What do you believe about Jesus? If they do not believe that he is the Son of God, and through his death and resurrection we have life abundant and eternal, then you need to run. Actually, fight. <laughs> Teach them the truth in a loving way, but share with them the truth. John destroys the authority of these false teachers because the Holy Spirit checks our thoughts. And when they're wrong, he corrects them. The Antichrist believed that the Spirit, this advanced spiritual knowledge, revealed to them the truth about Jesus, which wasn't the truth that John was preaching. And they were sincere in this. And you'll meet people who are very sincere in their beliefs about Jesus, but you can be sincerely wrong, right? And so many are. They believe that they were anointed. There are true and false anointings. People can back up their beliefs in most cases even though they believe a lie. There are true and false spiritual experiences. You have to know, you have to allow the Holy Spirit to discern for you what is right and what is wrong. The Spirit of God, again, will never reveal opposing theology, opposing Christology to what the Bible says about Jesus. John says, you know the truth because the truth is in you. In other words, you cannot be a Christian unless you know the truth. You can be a good person. You can do good things. But you cannot be a Christian unless you know and accept and embrace the truth of who Jesus is. So here's what John taught us. Antichrist exists, so be ready. Our minds are protected by the anointing of the Holy Spirit. The belief test to discern truth from false teaching is our own Christology. What do you believe about Jesus? And then we're not only to discern those who teach Lies, we are to combat them. We are to fight the lies and preach the truth and speak the truth. So here's the challenge I have for all of us. Make sure that your beliefs and your experience with Jesus are not counterfeit. Make sure that what you believe about Jesus, the experiences you've had with Jesus, Make sure that they are not counterfeit. Make sure that they are in correlation with the Word of God. In fact, I just, just bow your head and close your eyes. I'm just going to ask you that question. Because some of you may be here and 
You say, you know what, I've, I've believed some lies about Jesus. And I need to accept the truth. And you've been in church, and you've walked the aisle, and you signed the card, and you went through the baptism, but you're looking at your life realizing, I've not been changed. I, don't, I can't pass these three tests. What do I do about it? Start now. Start today. Accept the truth of who Jesus is. And, and there may be some here in the room or watching online say, I've never come to that point. I know a lot about Jesus. I've been to church. I, I've, I've studied the stories. I've even read through the gospel. But I'll be honest, I've never given my life to Jesus. I've never claimed him as the leader and forgiver of my life. I thought he was just a good person that God sent. But I've never accepted the truth that he is God, that he is the son of God. But I'm ready to do that now. If you find yourself in one of those categories, I just want you to pray this prayer. Father, I believe that Jesus is your son. I believe that he died on a cross for my sins. I believe that you raised Jesus from the dead by, by doing so conquered sin and death. I admit that I am a sinner and I ask you to forgive me of my sin. Jesus, I invite you into my life at this moment to be the leader and the forgiver of my life. Thank you for saving me. If you pray that prayer for the first time, or if you have questions about that or this subject, or this sermon, in just a minute we're going to sing, and there's going to be folks standing down front that would love to talk to you. Love to pray with you, love to answer, you may have some questions. You may say, hey, I want to know more about this. I'm not ready to make that commitment, but I want to know more. Some of you may be saying, you know, I, I want to believe, but Lord, help my unbelief. They're going to be here during the song. They're also going to be here after the service if you want to come and talk then. What do you believe about Jesus? If it's wrong, you need to get it right. Let's stand and let's worship together.